On this episode, we talk about small homes and senior care with big opportunities. Welcome to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. We'll educate you on the latest investment trends happening in one of the hottest real estate classes, skilled nursing and seniors housing. We'll point out the risks so you can reap the rewards of investing in this growing and complex industry. And now your hosts, Ben Boland and Brandon Boland. Welcome to the Investment Opportunity Podcast presented by Senwell Senior Investment Advisors. I am Ben Boland, joined by my brother, Brandon Boland. As I said, we are presented by Senwell. Senwell is a skilled nursing and seniors housing mergers and acquisitions advisory firm. Today on the show, we're joined by Susan Ryan. Susan is the Senior Director of the Greenhouse Project. The Greenhouse Project partners with senior living providers to create homes for elders that demonstrate more powerful, meaningful, and satisfying lives, work, and relationships. Their model homes include homes for 10 to 12 people with private rooms and bathrooms, and it harmonizes with the neighboring community. Susan, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So um, if we can just get started, I'm excited to have you here today just because um, I feel like we talk about the Greenhouse Project a lot, but if you can just... Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing over there. That would be great. Sure. I lead what I think is probably one of the most innovative initiatives I've ever been a part of. Um, We're radically transforming the traditional nursing home and even assisted living by really changing up the paradigm, really creating that physical environment we call real home. It's really taking a look at the philosophical culture which we call relationship-rich elder-directed care or elder-directed living, I should say, and that's meaningful life. And last but not least, it's the human architecture and really making sure that the locus of control is there with the elder and the staff working closest to that elder. So it's, it's a paradigm shift. I happen to be a nurse, and I can tell you in all of my career, I have never seen anything so radical hit long-term care as the greenhouse model. That's a good explanation. Um, I have a question. So Ben and I deal on a daily basis with um, operators, real estate owners, uh, lenders, appraisers, all in the skilled nursing and senior care environment and the seniors housing environment. A lot of times when we mention the greenhouse project, uh, there's a lot of question marks that ensue from that point forward. So I guess if you could walk me through a scenario where I go to a site of where a greenhouse project exists, what am I looking at on the outside? And then when I open the door to one of these houses and one of these homes, what am I looking at on the inside as well? You know, I wish we could go do a tour right now because I think there's nothing like seeing is believing and it won't look anything like the traditional nursing home. In fact, it would look pretty similar to a large home that would have 10 or 12 private rooms. Uh, You walk in, it's an open concept. I think, you know, that's what I like in my home is my open concept, which has a fireplace on one end and my open kitchen on the other Similarly, that's a greenhouse home. So the elements of real home, it looks like, feels like it 
is real home. And I think that's part of the magic of Greenhouse. And uh, we'll probably get into talking about COVID-19 and the impact of COVID in a traditional environment versus the impact of COVID in a real home environment with private rooms. Um, they're all ensuite uh, bathrooms within each of those rooms. Everything is decentralized. So all the cooking is done in the home. The laundry is done in the home. So when you think about it from that perspective, it looks like, feels like, is real home. But the magic in terms of the outcomes for elders, the outcomes for staff with regards to turnover, um, staff satisfaction, elder satisfaction, occupancy rates. I mean, I think that to me, you know, the proof is in the outcomes, whether you're a nurse or you're someone in finance. And it's important that they're not mutually exclusive to one another. We want high quality care, high quality of life, and we want a good return on the investment. And I think that's what's so powerful about this model is that it enables both to happen. That's win-win. And, and it does resemble, Ben and I have both been on the inside of some of these homes and it does really resemble, you feel like you're inside someone's home, which is a, a great feeling and a a great change of pace from the traditional skilled nursing model. Um, talk to me a little bit about some of the differences between what you would see in a home and versus one of these greenhouse projects. So there's rehab going on in the building, right? And then there's a communal dining area where all of the, the patients and residents get together to eat and, and really enjoy meals together. I think that's a little bit different today, my guess than it was you know, six months ago of how they interact with each other maybe, but um, maybe talk to us a little bit about the atmosphere on the inside and the kind of care that they're getting. Sure, where everything is really focused on the individual. And I think this is where you get your efficiencies. And I think bef um, in my past life, and I again, I've been a nurse for a very long time, done long-term care and home care. And I can tell you that economies of scale efficiencies were all around the building and how many people you could serve kind of at one point of entry. Whereas at a greenhouse home, it's, it's so different and it's family feel. And by knowing each individual person, by having consistent staffing support each of those elders, it really helps you to have those better outcomes. So people typically in a non-COVID uh, where there are dining restrictions, um, they would be pulling up to a family table. That's one long table with elders and staff sitting around the table. So you're, they're smelling the aromas of the food cooking. If they don't like what's being served, the kitchen is right there. And they're better able to address some of those preferences. And they're better able to take a look at weight loss and, and how to prevent that from happening by offering all sorts of real food supplements that they might prefer eating at a point in time. Um, laundry is done there in the home. Um, every elder has their own room. They have direct access. To me, this is this is huge and would be very important to me if I were in one of these homes, and that's access to outside. So even in the pandemic, I think what was so exciting to me is that elders were able to get out in the courtyard. They were able to get some sunshine, social distancing, of course, but they were able to not be so confined to their room without feeling fresh air or sunshine on their face. And 
I, I think that that's powerful. We had a community um, in Mississippi, actually, they described the quarantine they had instead of a barbecue, <laughs> where they really had uh, a wonderful time getting the elders outside. Um, family members were on the periphery outside the fence, but family members were able to see their loved ones. They were able to really socialize and have an event outside instead of being kind of sequestered or quarantined to the room in a traditional nursing home, which unfortunately that was the case for many. And I think, you know, research is, is telling us that social isolation was a huge problem with regards to uh, COVID. Okay. And yeah. it, Go ahead. I'll, um, I think you did a, a great job of painting the picture of the inside. And now you kind of led us to the outside. If I'm at a greenhouse project site, and so you had mentioned there's typically 10 to 12 rooms per home. Are there typically more homes on the same street or in the same neighborhood? What's the average mix that you that you typically see? So greenhouse homes are we our largest community. We've got 16 greenhouse homes at one location under one nursing home license. And that's um, in outside Albany, New York. That was where they transitioned all 192 beds into greenhouse homes. And then we've got other communities that have determined they were just going to take 10 or 12 beds out of their traditional nursing home. I always call it kind of the, the toe in the water. We're gonna test it to see what it's like. And so they built one greenhouse home or two greenhouse homes. If I would say an independently um, standing greenhouse home would be, I would say six is kind of our recommended under one license. That's where to your um, you're thinking about economies of scale and efficiency. It's where you're going to have nursing staffing um, work better between the six homes. You'll have the cost, the overhead cost of an administrator, director of nursing spread over 72 beds. I personally, we don't typically recommend going lower than that. Some have. We have um, a couple homes in Penfield, New York, two homes, 10 people in each home, and they're doing marvelously well under one license. So it's you can gain efficiencies. You work hard to figure out how do we gain those efficiencies and how can we make it work. So, Susan, for you, you mentioned economies of scale. So I'm playing devil's advocate here. So if I sure. am a traditional operator and I'm operating 60 to 100 bed nursing homes in a traditional environment, um, it, it's tough for me to wrap my head around this because a this this model is smaller than what I typically work with, and then b you mentioned economies of scale in that you have multiple roofs, you have to staff each individual home. Why does this model work? So let's talk about how you make it work. And the first thing you need to think about is how do you control your development cost? And so we work really hard to make sure we're looking at square footage. I've got square footage greenhouse homes that have been built uh, for, let's say, 10 people. They're about 6,000 square feet. I have greenhouse homes built for 10 people that are over 8,000 square feet. And so by 
smaller is better, um, you're really able to control some development costs there. Your FF&E, what's going in to really furnish those homes um, will be important. Obviously, where you build, what you build, those sorts of things are going to be important considerations. Um, the second thing is how you're financing or funding your homes. And we've had uh, the majority of greenhouse partners are uh, not-for-profit and they've used tax-exempt bonds. But we've had some that are have been built in rural areas and they've used USDA financing. Um, we've had some that have just gone to conventional banks and really been able to get a compelling rate um, with their conventional bank. Um, others have used capital campaigns as a nonprofit. Uh, they've brought a lot of uh, equity to the table through fundraising. So that's kind of the second thing. Uh, the third thing is really taking a look at the revenue and thinking about the three payer sources typically are Medicare, Medicaid, and private. And so achieving the right payer mix is really important. Uh, we have folks that have been able to increase their private pay rate. We, we did a survey one time. There were some organizations and they said, we didn't increase our private pay rate at all. Others on the high end said, oh, we increased it like 55%. We increased wow. it. They were getting a private room with an ensuite bath. It was a totally different model from what our traditional nursing home had been. I would say, you know, roughly it was more of about 11 to 15% average increase in private pay. Um, you have to think about occupancy and what occupancy rates are going to do. We did that survey. We were about 97, 98% occupancy rate at a time when the national occupancy rate was, uh, I think it was 88 at the time. It's lower than that now. And the last thing to consider is your operating cost and where you will gain efficiencies there. So it's really interesting in the greenhouse model, it's about a flattened hierarchy, which means that we are going to, and it's a universal worker. So the direct care staff, they're doing the care, they're doing the cooking, they're doing the cleaning, they're doing the laundry. And that means all your dietary staff and your laundry staff and your housekeeping staff will go down, but your direct care staff goes up. Your nursing will also be going up, your direct hands-on nursing, but middle management nursing goes down. Some other administrative functions will go down. We don't want layers of hierarchy. We really want to just put our money where our mouth is or where the elders are and really make sure that we are resourcing them with the people that are working closest to them and able to support them. So development cost, your operating cost, your financing, and looking at your revenue and your, your payer mix. Those in every state's a little bit different in terms of um, Medicaid reimbursement. We have in that same survey, we had 42% of elders that were supported on Medicaid. It was an average across all greenhouse homes. And so it shows that, you know, even with Medicaid reimbursement in the right state, you can make this work. So it, it sounds like the staff outside of nursing, they are more generalists rather than specialists, and they take care of everything outside of nursing. Is that right? 
generalist is one way of putting it. Okay. Yeah. So they, they have been equipped with 128 additional hours. Um, they spend a week in culinary training. They spend a week just really kind of learning the home, learning the technology that supports the home, learning the equipment, the ceiling lift, and um, you know, the dishwasher is a special, it's, it's a commercial type dishwasher. And so, you know, learning all of those things, learning budgeting, learning how to order their food and that sort of thing. So they're essentially, they're like a household manager and that extra education um, 48 hours are really spent around the greenhouse model and the philosophical shift, dementia care, communication, teamwork, so that you really are developing a team, a high-performing team that will be in consistent, dedicated relationships with the people in that home so that they're able early detection for any sign of illness um, they're able to know who likes what to eat. You can control the food costs. Um, I mentioned weight loss earlier. They're able to really, you know, make sure that people are eating and by having the aromas in the house, that's usually not a problem. Could I, I think I just want to change directions a little bit and just really address the elephant in the room, which is COVID. We're seeing a lot of the nursing homes get the negative attention in, in national media. And I think a lot of questions people are having with their loved ones are, should we move them into a nursing home setting? If we can avoid it, let's figure out ways to avoid it. Or if there's another solution, uh, let's start to look and do our research as a family and decide where we should be putting our family. Um, now, in the traditional setting, we are starting to see operators do a phenomenal job of mitigating a lot of these risks. However, with the model that you described, I think given the current COVID environment, there are so many benefits in the smaller home setting. So do you have any figures or numbers that we can kind of walk through to talk about some of the differences between the traditional nursing home setting and, and the greenhouse project model? Absolutely. Um, so we just did a, we're starting a research study. We're working with a, um, a research advisor, Dr. Cheryl Zimmerman with out of uh, University of North Carolina. She's going to be our COVID research advisor. And so we've done our first round of data. I, it's literally kind of hot off the press. Um, and we took a look, we have a total of 300 homes. Those are active and inactive greenhouse homes. We were able to hear back from 84% um, of them. So it's a total of, let's see, 200, 256 homes. And of those, we have, um, 11 homes that had cases in skilled nursing or individual elders, 32 elders had um, a diagnosis of COVID, one death. And, and I'll send you this afterwards um, in the event that you want this. Uh, that, was the, that was licensed as assisted living. So 95% of greenhouse homes were COVID free is oh. what that data is telling you. 
in assisted living, which to me, I, I find this kind of really interesting. We heard from 24 assisted living homes and um, there were 15 cases and three deaths in assisted living. And then we've got two homes licensed as family care. Um, it's a, a unique designation in Washington state and they were 100%, they were COVID free. So that's the data and that's compelling. And I think it just, it goes to show you how important environment is, how important consistent staffing. And it really speaks to that versatile worker um, instead of having dietary folks coming in, laundry folks coming in, housekeepers coming in, you have the staff that are going in and they're they're doing it all. They've got that versatile household management kind of experience. And because they, they know who the elder is, they can pick up very quickly if somebody's not themselves and maybe we should be, you know, taking, doing a COVID test or, or really, um, you know, certainly screening for symptoms. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. There's not a ton of people going in and out of these homes. Right. There's only very few. Um, that makes complete sense. And during all of this, were you taking any additional precautions? Because you know, Brandon mentioned we've actually been in some of these homes before, and it's like you're walking into a home, but open concept, and you walk in, and then there's a long dining room table where everybody congregates and eats. Are they just eating in their, their own rooms? Yeah, every state's a little different in terms of what they would allow. Um, we had some states where they would bring, with that long table, they had an elder at one end of the table, an elder at the other end, and then they kind of staggered a couple on the other side. There's typically a counter um, on the side of the open kitchen um, facing into the hearth area, and so they had a couple elders there. So there you've got six people. Uh, that are able to have some sort of communal dining situation. They had a, a table they put outside so that some elders, if they wanted to have their breakfast outside or a meal outside, they could get outside and do that. Um, so they got really creative. And I think that small home environment that was so contained, they were able to do some things that a traditional building, they just didn't have the luxury just private rooms with their own bathroom is huge. And if you're sharing a room with someone breathing the same air, and if it's a centralized bathing area, um, or you're sharing the same bathroom, I mean, you know, you just, you're doubling your risk by having someone in that same room. Right. Could you tell us a little bit, you, you had mentioned before that a lot of the owners are nonprofit. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the makeup of who a greenhouse owner is um, and and maybe why their focus, I guess, why are there a lot of nonprofits in this space versus for-profits? Is there any reason for that? It's a, a great question. I think I've asked it myself. I've worked in for-profit organizations and nonprofit, you know, kind of a mix, actually probably more for-profits. And um I always felt I'm the same person, you know, what's driving the nonprofit. And I think for many of them, they're faith-based. And I think, you know, there was something in their mission that really resonated when they saw it. And they said, this is resonating with our mission. This is what we're going to do. 
And I remember our first for-profit when he came to the table, and his feeling was this. He said, I believe that this will give me competitive advantage. And he talked about, it used to be whoever has the newest kind of wins from an occupancy perspective. That's where, you know, elders would want to go because it's the newest, it must be the best. But he said, I feel like I can build my greenhouse homes and next week somebody could open a brand spanking new traditional building and I've got competitive advantage. And so from an occupancy perspective, I'm going to do far better than um, because of that competitive advantage. He would tell you that he does good and he does well. And so it's really that forward thinking provider owner that says there is a better way. And, you know, it feels a bit counterintuitive, but I'm going to figure out how to make it happen. And as he would tell you, failure is not an option. I'm, I'm going to make it happen and we will figure out how to make it happen. Interestingly, he built his first greenhouse community. He has four communities, 30, um, 33 homes spread across those four. We'll open another community with another 10 homes uh, later this year. But his first community, he said he was kind of splitting it. Um, he, had, he built five greenhouse homes, and then he did a 60-bed traditional new building. Um, just, he just wasn't quite sure that it was really going to work. He said that was the, well, I wouldn't say he said it was the biggest mistake of his, his life, <laughs> but he did say, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. And going forward, he didn't ever do that again. And uh, so he would buy a traditional nursing home and then transition all of those beds into greenhouse homes. His largest community um, is 11 greenhouse homes of 12 elders in each of them. Yeah, it's it's the old saying that once you have a taste of one, it you can't just have one, right? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think that's a potato chip saying. It, it is a potato chip. <laughs> I remember it well. <laughs> Susan, so what's what's your relationship like with the owners? Are you guys, how's your model set up? Are you guys a franchise or how does that work? We are not a franchise. We are a trademarked um, entity. And what that means is there are quality standards that each of the owners or providers would sign that agreement with us that they are adhering um, to the, the quality standards associated with the mark. After, and then we have a technical assistance package. It's our consulting package, if you will. We work with their architects and uh, we have a design manual. We do a financial feasibility model and really help to Kind of, it's built in with all of our staffing assumptions and um, just a ton, years of data that has gone into inform this model, uh, the financial feasibility model. We do a lot of leadership and team development, so lots of education about how you really embrace a new way of caring, a new way of doing traditional nursing home in a very modern way. Um, so that technical assistance will take us up until they open the home. And then after that, they become part of, we call it the linked up network, not LinkedIn, linked up. And it really is to connect, engage, and impact. We really believe that we learn more from each other. And by staying together 
in this type of network, such as our data. Our data, I think, is um, one reason that it was a good reason to stay connected because we're conducting the data and our voice becomes louder. It's not just community A that had good data, but it's all of our, you know, 256 homes have some pretty compelling data. 95% are really good. So um, I think that's part of it. We do lots of webinars for them. We typically have a conference. We would have been uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas in May, except for COVID. Um, and we also have a model fidelity tool. And that tool is kind of this online self-assessment that allows different stakeholders that are engaging in the home to be able to see how well they're living the core values of Greenhouse. So you protect your investment in the brand to really make sure that, you know, you invested millions into building those homes. Let's make sure that you're living the brand and that they are assessed every year. Um, we call them the linked up dues, their membership dues that gets them the model and integrity tool. It gets them all these webinars. We have a, a password protected part in our website. So they've got all sorts of tools and resources. We convene all sorts of focus groups and, and study groups and, and different things to just help, help them get better, help us to continue to innovate. That's great. So. So it sounds like it's just a it's it's just a great support system. So you guys take no ownership under each individual home, correct? Correct. Okay, that's great. Um, it Sorry. it I'll I'll cut in here. Um, it doesn't sound like if I wanted to invest in one of these, I would need a significant amount of experience just based on what you just right. described. It sounds like I can just partner with you guys and start working with you guys and. In day one, you guys can help walk me through the process of investing and developing one of these greenhouse models. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's really interesting. I'm finding um, where it used to be providers that were coming to the table, more developers are coming to the table and really trying to recognize that we need a solution, that there is a demographic shift as the boomers are coming and We've got a nursing home model that it's a broken system. It's been a broken system, but COVID has really exposed how broken and certainly all the flaws in that system. So I think it's an opportunity for developers to come to the table and say, if I were to do something, if I were to start from scratch, what would it look like? And I tell you, it's the forward thinking providers or developers that are coming to the table and say, I'm going to push against the status quo. I'm going to, you know, really figure out what will it take to make this work. And I can tell you, it does work. That's great. So you're also starting a podcast soon, correct? Yes, we are. We felt that this was um, an opportune time for us as well to start a podcast. It's called Elevate Elder Care. And the idea is that we speak up and we speak out and we really want to kind of confront the brutal, honest truth about how did we get here and what do we need to elevate elder care? And I don't believe we, one person, one organization has all the answers, but I believe by tapping into thought leaders to and diverse perspectives to really understand what do you see from your lens? Uh, the way you're looking and and how can we collectively come together and really create something 
that I think we have to look at funding. I think we have to look at a, a lot of uh, regulatory reform. There are so many things, but I, I want to talk to these thought leaders and gain their perspectives and then listen, learn, and call people to action. So hopefully we will we will do our part to elevate elder care. I don't know who would ever start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Sounds like a terrible terrible idea. If it's anything like the job you've done here as a guest, I'm sure you'll do phenomenal as the host of that that podcast. So we look forward to listening to that as well. Well, I took notes from listening to both of you. So <laughs> the only thing is I don't have a twin, so I <laughs> Yeah, video it, it effects fun. and audio effects can do great wonders. It's amazing. I'm glad I have the video because otherwise I, I'd be clueless. Yeah. In fact, I I still don't really know which is which. But um, <laughs> anyway, I respond to Brandon. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Okay, Susan, what what is the best way for people to get in touch with you or or anyone at the Greenhouse Project? Sure. Our website is the best place. It's the greenhouse project, all lowercase, dot org. Okay, of course, great. we're on LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We will put all of that in the show notes as well as um, if it's available, a link to your new podcast. And um, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to be on the show with us today. I loved it. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. Take care. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. Susan was a fantastic guest, and the greenhouse model, I think, is just something completely unique to today's environment. And just as a reminder, if you go back to the end of episode two in that What You Got segment, we showcased a greenhouse that we currently have available for an acquisition. So go back and listen to that. But in this week's What You Got segment, we'd like to showcase an opportunity that's in Ohio. It's in a rural setting. It's a smaller facility that's a combined skilled and AL facility. It was built about 20 years ago, currently at break-even EBITDA, and it does have significantly lower Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement rates for other facilities in Ohio. It does have quite a bit of upside. So if you would like to learn more about this, feel free to reach out to me directly at ben at senwelladvisors.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. If you want to hear more about investing in the skilled nursing and seniors housing industry, head to our website at www.senwelladvisors.com slash podcast.